Welcome into Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. And this is the third and final installment of our summer musings with football analyst William Gardner. But don't worry, we will be back with more podcasts before preseason camp starts. I will probably end up doing a solo pod, and then Brian Howell and I have talked about doing a preseason camp podcast as well. So I hope you enjoyed this series. G. Villebuff asked, can you provide any insight or analysis on the defense alignment that will likely be providing depth for the unit this year? Specifically, I'm curious about Jaden Simon, Lloyd Murray, and Justin Jackson. Thanks. I think this is – I think I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was, I was going to say break it down for us. Yeah. I, I, don't I, know, I don't know the answer to this question. I think this is the key to the season, quite frankly, this, this position to me. Uh, you know, if we get some good play out of that defensive line, we could be a pretty solid team this year. But right now, it's a little scary to me. Uh, I really like, you know, I I, I want to see Terrence Lang take the next step and be a six foot seven, three hundred pound bruiser. If he does that, he could be a, a fairly decent draft pick next year. I want Jalen Sammy to take the next step. Uh, I want to see Janaz Jordan take a significant step frankly, in terms of his technique and staying lower and not getting pushed around as much. But Jaden Simon's another year away for sure. Lloyd Murray certainly had talent, has talent. I don't know. He's shown flashes I, from what I hear. And then, you know, you got Justin Jackson, Jeremiah Doss are, are very similar players who I think started to see more playing time towards the end of last season. And, and uh, I, I don't know. Blaine Toll is an interesting guy. I want to see what he brings to the table. Um, but am I ready to say any of these guys are ready to be a, a, a significant power five level lineman? I'm not ready to say that until they prove it to me. You know, the only guy I think that separated himself from the pack at any at it, to any extent is Naeem Rodman. And it seems fairly obvious that he'll be that third starter on the line. And I, I think he'll bring, I think he'll, he, he's going to be a very different kind of a player than uh, Mustafa Johnson, much more thick and stout, I, I think, not nearly as, as athletic and, and mobile, but all, more, I don't know, more so than a traditional defensive lineman. So I don't know. I think hopefully Naeem Rodman is the answer to that third spot, and then some of these other guys can start to step up. I feel like I'm, I'm not really answering his question in terms of providing insight or analysis, but none of them have done anything yet to really comment on. Well, this is a question that would be better to answer in six weeks, right? When right. they're halfway yeah. through camp. I, I like, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see them more knocking heads against our, to, to, the good thing for them is they're going to be going against a good offensive line in practice. So, you know, if they start uh, making plays in practice against guys like Kari Kutch and, and Purcell and, and Frank Phillip and Max Ray, then I think we're going to feel a lot better about it. But there's really no insight to be given yet because none of these guys has really separated themselves from the pack. NYC Ski Bum asked, we've heard Katie is building this thing for the long haul. What's the long haul? Well, I think the best case scenario is that Darrell retires as CU's head coach, all of Bill McCartney, right? And then worst case right. is that he gets fired. I, I think you're trying to ask us to predict the future, which is kind of hard to do. Right. I think what I think what Carl Durrell means by that is exactly what you said. He wants this to be his last stop in coaching. He wants to finish his career here. And then when he when he's done, just settle down in the house there and never leave Boulder. 
And I think if, if, if that ends up happening, it'll be a very good thing for all of us, because I think that'll mean that he's a consistent winner here and has built us back up into a, a pretty good football program. So I think that's what he's looking for. I don't think he's so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of riff off a little bit of what, what you've said a little bit in the past about, uh, you know, some of the recruiting practices under um, Mel Tucker, you talked, you've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, they were taking guys that they were taking real chances on in terms of whether they're going to be around or uh, going to be able to play and what have you. And so it was quite obvious that they were taking some guys to get immediate satisfaction, immediate return from the fans, what have you. And I think the difference is Carl Durrell is trying to put together a team where top to bottom, like we're talking about on that top 40, all of these guys are guys that can contribute and, and, and be a player. And I think one of the things that's, that's significantly different to me about Carl Durrell from the last series of coaches is he's not afraid to move people out. And, and that's not just players, coaches too. If you're not getting it done, he will replace you. And, you know, if, if he doesn't think you're a player, he will help you find a place somewhere else to play. So I think in, in that sense, he's trying to develop depth. And so when he's talking about the long haul, I think that that he wants to have a program that year in and year out is a good team. But obviously, I think what he means is he would like to retire here. And I think we all hope that that happens. Major Buff asked, how much hot water do you believe Arizona State is in if allegations against them are substantiated. Also, were you shocked to hear about the allegations or were there any whispers about shady business beforehand? Well, you're the Arizona State guy, so. I am as tapped into Arizona State as you are, William. I did not hear any whispers about that. Uh, Yeah, I I can't say it surprises me. No, if Pete Thamel's story is right, head's got to roll. But, you know, the NCAA doesn't really have a backbone to them, do right. they? Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's what I think, too. I think that's what most people think is that uh, uh, based on what they did, something ought to really happen. But none of us really believes that it will. You know, so there you are. I mean, certainly they they broke the rules and we're, we're breaking them in some pretty big ways. I, I I don't know if they gave a walk on lunch or dinner, but uh, do I expect to see anything happen to them? Not really. But then that's just because I don't really believe much in the NCAA. They'll punish some teams and they won't punish others. And I don't see Arizona State as being one of the teams that they'll punish. I actually would have picked Arizona State probably to finish first in the Pac-12 South, uh, just given what they have a quarterback in their backfield defensively. They – I know they were having COVID issues last year, but they allowed the fewest points per game than any program in the Pac-12. But this is going to be looming over them at the very least, right? You know, this is something that these players are going to deal with. I know they're 18 to 22-year-olds. They're probably not spending their days and nights worrying about things in terms of these allegations, but it's still hanging over the program. And so for that reason, I, I couldn't pick them to win the South this year. Well, I think it'll be used against them in recruiting. You know, certain coaches will say, well, you know, if you go there, you're going to go on probation. You're not going to go to bowl games and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know whether that'll be true or not, but, you know, <clears throat> some coaches will use whatever angle they have in, in recruiting. And um, these kinds of things do tend to get into the minds of players, I think. And what goes on in the minds of players can make a big difference on the field sometimes. So we'll see. 
it's one thing to pay DeAndre Ayton a hundred thousand to play a year at Arizona. It's another thing to like bring out players on an official visits during a pandemic because a lot of those recruits are not going to come to Arizona State and they're going to be yeah. willing to talk about it afterwards. Right. DeAndre Ayton is not going to talk about getting a hundred grand from Arizona, right? Well, and that's the thing. It's like some sometimes people break rules, and you know, I've known people that that lied about things that were easily verifiable. I'm like, what the heck are you thinking? Everybody, you know, the dumbest guy on the planet can go tell that that's not true. So, yeah, like you said, you know, bringing guys out that aren't going to wind up there. They don't have any allegiance to you. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I have still not bought into the whole Herm Edwards thing. Every year they're supposed to be great and every year they're not. So we'll see. Pate Buff asked, Buffs go to their first Rose Bowl and you have no work obligations and two free tickets, but you have to take a Buff Stampede member with your other free ticket. Who do you take? William, uh, let's not choose each other because uh, yeah. that wouldn't be in the spirits of this question here. And, and I figured you'd have, you'd, have a, you'd have a pass anyway. What's that? You'd have a media pass anyway. Well, he said if you have no work obligation. So I'm, I'm in the stands with all you guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I probably, uh, the top three on my list is probably, I'm going to take. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get a top three. You got to pick one. <laughs> oh, I got to pick one. Hey, that's not, that's not funny. Then you go first then. I'm going to take SD. He's been with me since the start when I took over Buff Stampede. I, I put out on Twitter recently, just started my 19th year as a publisher of buffstampede.com. I'm either lacking ambition or I just love my gig. I think it's the latter there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, SD and his wife are going to be welcoming their second child into the world soon. So uh, shout out to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take uh, Nippy's 13. Okay. Um, he, he's out there in San Diego, started a new business right before COVID hit. So hopefully everything's working out with that. Um, he... Uh, uh, Two years ago uh, for the Nebraska game, I had to be on call at work and I couldn't go. And so I, uh, he, he took those tickets and flew out here on a, on a minute's notice and went to that game and, and just really represented, you know, us well in, in our seats. And, and we had beers after the game uh, up by the airport in, in Denver and just had a really good time with him and his wife. So that's who I'd pick. Nice. And, okay. And and if he couldn't go, it's going to be Trout because I think that guy would be pretty interesting and fun. Monstrous Joe asked, "Are you watching Letter Kenny? What is Pac-12 analogy to upcountry degens? This is like foreign language to me." Monstrous Joe, uh, maybe I need to get into that. What what is Letter Kenny? I, I googled it on and looked at the TV series. I didn't see the upcountry degens thing in there okay. but i'm okay. not cool i never get i i always watch tv shows five years later when you know i don't have to wait in the off season up country degens i mean that screams washington state right <laughs> i think it's, a, it's supposed to be a, can, a canadian thing okay well that's closer to canada yeah. than than boulder yeah. is obviously <laughs> something i don't know yeah i guess i'm, gonna, I'm gonna go oregon state or washington state even though i don't even know what that means Right. Wild Buff asked early impressions of George Klyovkov and how he is doing slash will do as Pac-12 commissioner. William, the great thing for George Klyovkov is that the bar is set so low with, with, with Larry Scott. 
Uh, we should we should call him Champagne Larry. I, I like that nickname for him. Yeah. It, it, it can't get any worse than what we've had. The best way to take over any job is to follow a guy that everybody universally despised and hated. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's way too early to say anything, really. He hadn't done anything yet. But, hey, God bless America. He's better than the other guy, right? He's <laughs> breathing and can fog a mirror. So I do, I do like his diverse resume though. When you, who knew of George Klyovkov and props to the PAC 12. I mean, that was not a name leaked before he was named. You start to like do more research on him. And I do like kind of his past and, and what he's, you know, presumably been able to pick up in terms of experience throughout his years. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I hope, you know, I don't know. It's like when you hire coaches and and you bring in guys with the big resumes and they stink. I don't know. So it's always a, it's always a crapshoot and running a conference is a whole different thing these days. So I don't know, you know, fingers crossed and and hope he makes, hope he does a a better job. But like you said, it's a, it's a low bar. So I I don't have any early impressions because it's just, there's been nothing really happened yet. So. Let's wait and see what ha- get a get a get a season of something under our belts and see how we're looking. Well, one thing that George Klyovkov has done that Larry Scott didn't like doing is reaching out to athletic directors. Larry Scott would pander to the presidents and chancellors, and uh, there's a reason that uh, he stuck around as long as he did uh, because if it was up to the ads, then Larry Scott's tenure would not have been as long as it was. So George Klyovkov is going to go out there, and he is going to try to get a feel for this conference, not just from the top, but also, you know, going from the athletic directors down to the coaches and the boosters. And so that part you like to hear, but of course, like you said, William, we, we got to see that turn into action. And uh, another good thing about Klyovkov is he definitely seems to be forward thinking. And I think that's a quality the PAC 12 needs right now. Mile high crew asked now that the Larry Scott era is officially over, what will happen to the Pac-12 network and the future of the conference in terms of TV slash media rights going forward? The TV agreements are going to expire in the summer of 2024. Obviously, the negotiations will begin far in advance of that. And Klyovkov, you know, the good thing with him is that he worked with Sling there for a while. So he knows the uh, key is exposure here. You obviously, you got to find a way to get on direct TV as well. But uh, this is stuff that's... Uh, not going to get an answer for a while here. Just right. in terms of the Pac-12 network, you you got to pare that down to just one parent network, right? I mean, right now they have these regional networks that get a zero rating. I think you got to you got to you got to put that down to one Pac-12 network. I know the Pac-12 they champion themselves as the conference of champions, and the Olympic sports are great in the Pac-12. But yeah, come on. That's... George, George Klyovkov knows where their bread is buttered. That was yeah. one of the things that stood out about his introductory press conference was, hey, we know that the revenue sports is what we need to focus on. And so if they can do that with the Pac-12 network, it has a chance of surviving. The right. model that Larry Scott tried to you know, create with this network is not sustainable. But if you can pivot, narrow it down to one network and focus on football, have studio shows. And, and I know it's going to be kind of, cookie cutter coverage because you're not going to talk negative about programs, but the more football men's basketball coverage you can do on that network, that that's going to possibly be able to survive that network right now. The model is not going to work long-term in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, there's two sports that, that pay the bills, and that's where you have to be. And, and you know, you have to make it more – well, for, for one thing, you got to make it more available for more people um, across the footprint and, and outside the footprint to some extent. But, you know, there's all these – there's always talk that there's going to be a change, there's going to be a super conference, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. So, I don't know, I think there's so much changing – in college sports right now that I think it's anybody's guess what happens to any conference in the next three to five years. See how that, how that, you know, who, who surfs that wave the best, I guess. Mile High Crew also asked, what will it take for the Pac-12 to be more respected among the Power Five conferences? Win more oh, champions. Yeah, winning in exposure, right? Yeah. Right now, those are the two things that, that are and- holding the Pac-12 back. Right. Win, 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 non, win out of conference uh, games against big teams and win championships. I mean, that's really all it comes down to. We're not respected because we don't do those things. So, you know, we don't send teams to the playoffs and, they, and when we do, they don't win. Last question from Mile High Crew. He asked, what will it take for the Buffs to have a real rival within the Pac-12? And that, you know, that to me, it, it takes heated games. It takes close games. It takes controversy. And, and, and I'm going to, the example I'm going to give is 1986, you know, so Bill McCartney comes in and in 82 and, and he immediately names Nebraska to rival. Well, it's kind of a joke to everybody else. Right. And he meant it seriously. It became a rivalry in 1986 when they were ranked third in the country and came to Boulder and we beat them 20 to 10. And then they had a, uh, all-American outside linebacker, Brandon something, I think, I can't remember his name, but, and he would, he would on, you know, national TV at, at the end of the post-game interview and saying, we, I will never lose to this team again. I will never lose to this team again. And, and right in that minute, it became a rivalry, right? So until you have games like that and there's, and, you know, and then there's, you know, the, uh, comments about Sal and Essie and all that kind of stuff, it will get a rivalry, when we have those kinds of heated, bitter wins, I thought we were going that way in 2016 with Utah. And then they smoked us the last, <laughs> the next three years, you know? And so un- until uh, it becomes a balance between us and another really good team. And, and, you know, you, you, you start to hate a team when they beat you on that last play, you know, and they, then everybody goes crazy and tears the, the goalpost down. That's what it takes. That's the only way to make it happen. Yeah. It has to come naturally. There's no way to force that. Uh, they call it the rumble in the Rockies with Utah, but until there's bad blood there, or unfortunately, CU is just not going to have a, a true rival in the PAC 12. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're fighting against regional situations with other schools, Arizona, Arizona state, right. UCLA, USC, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington. Like you just, you're not going to be able to break that barrier until there's bad blood with Utah. I feel like, right? And no, you know, it's like let's be honest. I mean, year year to year, nobody really expects us to beat Utah right now. You know, we got to change that for one thing, and so it becomes a more balanced rivalry in the first place. But you know, we we can't make Utah be a rival. It just kind of has to happen. You know, something or you know. Something has to happen in a game, you know. I, I the 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 team that for some reason seems like it could be more of a rival for us would be Arizona State for some reason. To me, I don't know. It, it, it's just something organic has to happen between a team, and and I think it has to be a more balanced 
competition. And so Arizona state would be good for that, you know, cause we beat them for a few years, but I don't know, then they don't ever seem to take the sport quite as seriously as other programs. It seems like, so I don't know. It, it just has to happen because of big, huge games. That's why, you know, and then once, once you, you see you Nebraska got on Thanksgiving and all of a sudden every game was a big game. Cause we we're playing for the conference championship or, uh, a national championship a couple of times in a row. And so that's how it happens. Trout man five asked Adam, considering how much time we spent interacting on the site, any chance we could organize a preseason buff stampede golf outing slash tournament. It would be great to meet you and other subscribers. I love that idea. Yeah. Um, Time is kind of in the way in terms of organizing that. If anybody right. out there is listening to this podcast and they have some idea how that could get done with a golf course, uh, I'm on board. And actually, maybe I'll be more proactive, kind of looking ahead to maybe next summer. It's going to be tough to organize this. Uh, taking the family up to Portland here in a couple of weeks, camp gets started. It's going to be tough to do that. But uh, yeah. Maybe uh, we can get a happy hour going or something, um, but yeah. no, no, I, I would enjoy that. Do, do you golf, William? You know, I'm not, I, I'm not a golfer, but I can get out there and uh, slow down a foursome with some, <laughs> but I, or, or, you know, just we, like you said, we, I think one time quite a few years ago, we all got together uh, in that lower level of um, Blake street tavern and mm -hmm. a bunch of that together. So there's no reason why we couldn't have a happy hour or something like that on a more regular basis and yeah. see each other face to face and do that kind of thing. Do you own golf clubs? I guess is or, the question. or bowling. No, I don't own golf clubs. Okay. All right. Well, somebody, I actually have an extra set. So uh, if we get this uh, buff stampede golf outing going, uh, you're, you're going to join us, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Hey, I'm, I'm great. At top golf, man. <laughs> I still have yet to do that. I really want to go to Top Golf. Maybe the, yeah. You know what? That's that wouldn't be the worst idea. Get everybody together at a Top Golf. Okay. Okay. Uh, and they're in Littleton. Yeah. If somebody has any idea how to organize this, uh, I would uh, 100% put all my support behind it. And and that, you're speaking my language here, Troutman Five. I just uh, there's there's only so many hours in a day, and so uh, that that's kind of the the barrier that we're working with here. So somebody take the reins and run with it, William. We are going to jump into the CU all time name draft. You ready? I am ready. Let's do this. There's a clear cut number one here, and I'm going to let you have him if you want him. Do you want that first pick? Sure, I'll do that. I, I'll, I'm going to take that first pick. Okay. With the, uh, the, with the first pick of the CU all-time name draft, William Gardner selects Dick Punches, offensive tackle, 1930s. The low-hanging fruit was uh, gobbled up by William Gardner. Uh, congrats on that, uh, the, the, that selection there. And that's his name. Can't, didn't make it up. All right, moving on to moving on to the second pick in the all name CU draft. Are we going snake? Do do I get uh, two picks here, or how are we doing this? Oh yeah, uh, I don't know. You're the boss. You you decide. Well, if I decide that in my favor, then it would be in my favor, which feels wrong. Um, <laughs> but Hannibal Navies, outside oh, linebacker good. in the mid '90s, I think uh, Hannibal Navies. 
as a solid pick here, number two. Um, I'll go back to you for for the third pick. All right. Well, my uh, third pick is from the 1950s, and this is honest, honest to God, name on the list: Alabama Glass was like a wide receiver in 1952 to 53. Alabama Glass is off the board. I'm going to go with my second pick, the fourth overall selection in this draft, Vaca Manapuna, a defensive tackle from 02 to 05. He hung around the NFL on practice teams for a while. Vaca Manapuna is off the board. Nice. And for my third pick, I'm going to go to the late 90s. And uh, th- this guy was actually a star forward on the basketball team and then played two years at outside linebacker. Rodell House Guest. Rodell House Guest is off the board. I like it. All right, so we're going with my third pick here. I'm, I think I'm going to go Jim Quackenbush. He was an outside linebacker at CU in the mid-80s. Yeah, I- Jim Quacken, Jim Quackenbush. You you knew Jim Quackenbush? Knew Jim for sure. Yeah, um, good guy. I like him. Well, let's see. So for my fourth pick, getting a little tough here. I am going to go, and, and this is, I'm sticking with the wide receivers here from 1936. Royal Dow. Royal Dow. Okay. And then I'm going to go Leroy Roar. He was a tailback in 95, raised in Arizona, transferred to CU from Arizona State. He's a man after my own heart. I did the same thing. I graduated from Arizona State. I got the hell out of Arizona. I came to to the paradise in Boulder. Leroy Rohr. Uh, William, quick exercise before you get into your next pick. Can you say Leroy Rohr five times really quick? Roar, like as in lion's roar, lion roar. Yeah. Leroy Roar. Leroy Roar, Leroy Roar, Leroy Roar. I lost count. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Drinking. All right. Well, my last pick is a tough one. I got, I got three or four names on my, on my board here. Um, But I am going to go with a kicker from 1992, Pat Bluto. Pat Bluto. Okay. He was a pretty good kicker. Uh, actually spelled like a, like, like he's from new Orleans. That's B L O T T I A. Okay. Okay. I have so many options here for my last pick. I don't know what to pick. You know what? I'm going to go with the current buff. If I'm going to go with the current buff, William, what would be your guess? Oh man. Off of this. I'm driving the hype train if that gives you any type of hint. This is my guy for the next four years. Montana? Yep. Montana Lamonius Craig, come on down. You're joining the squad. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I think he's going to be a superstar too. And that for, for uh, that last pick, I was looking at some of the older guys. There was a, a believe it or not, there was a John Denver who was an All-American tackle. There you go. There you go. I didn't I didn't consider it picking most of these guys, but I have a lot of names just written down as I was kind of going through the all-time letterman list. I mean, on a serious note here, Rashawn Salam is just a great name. It rolls off the tongue. Uh five and a half years since his passing, he would have turned 48 this year. Uh, I'll throw out another one from from my era in the mid-80s, uh, who people probably knew really well from ESPN was Solomon Wilcox. Yeah, that's a good one. 
team. You were going through that whole time Letterman list. There are just some great names back in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, there's a guy on there named O Douche. O Douche. O Douche. That should have been a pick of yours. Elwin yeah. Endorf, Harry Narcissian. Claude Coffin. Claude Coffin, yes. Claire and Claude Coffin were both offensive linemen at CU in the early 1900s. Those Coffin brothers were body and fools there on the right. line in the early 1900s. <laughs> Deji Ola Toye from oh, my wow. era covering CU was one of them. He played in the NFL for a bit. I liked him. Chidera Uzo Deribe, yeah. great sure. one. Yeah, and um, uh, the safety that got drafted by the Cowboys. Chido Bay, Uzie. Chido Bay, right, that's it. Chido yeah. Bay, yeah. That'd been a good one, too. Brody Hefner Lydiard, he was a long snapper at CU, went on to play 53 NFL games. Brody, Brody, uh, didn't he come in as a tight end? Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Royal Graham was a 5'5 quarterback at CU in 1894. Cody Hawkins would look like a giant compared to Royal Grant, just, just for the okay. record. Uh, Brandon Dabdu, a defensive tackle at CU in the early 2000s. You look at those guys that were offensive linemen, you know, really prior to the 70s, and they're, they're all like 205, 210, 215. Yeah, yeah. Hadfield Chilson, Dick Blassengame, Alabama Glass. You actually drafted him, right? Right. Bo Hellmanderis, 1980 offensive guard. Max punches. You you drafted Dick punches. I would raise you a Max punches there. I wonder if they had been brothers. Are they similar here? Similar eras? <laughs> no, the punches brothers. I don't think so. Okay, punches. He was thirty eight to forty. Oh, that'd have been about the same time. Bobby Purify is one that I, it rolls off the tongue. I like that name. Akarika Dawn, good name. Yeah, Cedric Cormier. Akarika Delta Dawn. Daniel Jolly, I, I remember that was first year on the gig. I People were excited about Daniel Jolly back then. Mike Bichetti, Don Pepplewell, Dave Parlapiano, Seafield Clay, Earl Loser, Sean Tufts. Bernard Cef- Teets. Yep. Cepho Lufau is a good name. Merritt Crandall was a 5'10", 158-pound tackle at CU. In the late 1800s, doesn't it make you want to get like in the go back machine, right? Five ten, 158. I'd have been uh, a giant back then. I'd have been the biggest guy on the team. My name is Adam Munster Tiger. Where would I have gone gone in this draft? Had I oh been yeah, you see a football player, they would have been picked. Top five, okay. Monster Tiger for sure. I, I know that I would not have beaten out Dick Punches, but where 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 would I have been on your board? Probably wouldn't have beat out Alabama class either because that, okay. that's pretty that's pretty classic. Maybe, maybe third there. Third? Okay. Yeah. There's some great nicknames, obviously. I think Byron Wizard White has to be number one, right? Right, for sure. Uh, Leon Bullpower White. Rabid Goldfish was a good one for George Hippolyte. Right. I always loved Bad Thad for Thaddeus right. Washington. Thaddeus Washington. How about Quinn Sepnuski? That'd be a name. I think uh, if you're going to do like a, a position duo that had the greatest names, Quinn Sepnuski and Joe Kloppenstein would be right. Would be there. Well, they certainly yeah, they, they certainly had the most letters. In, in terms of nicknames, what about Espinosa Island? That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Except that it's kind of a negative, <laughs> <laughs> given what it came from. 
if you don't if you don't recruit cornerbacks you get espinoza island that's your 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 destiny program and then you then you get voted off the island montana limonius craig was my current buff what about nate the hammer landman that that's pretty awesome for a nickname great definitely or eric the enemy that's a good one sleeping with the enemy sleeping with uh all right, William. Well, it was fun catching up with you. We've split yep. these up into separate podcasts, and I hope you all guys all enjoyed it. We're going to be uh, taking a little bit of time off here as we get closer to preseason camp. But, uh, William, can I twist your arm and get you back on here for some more podcasts? Absolutely. I would love it. That would be, that'd be great. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in.